Who's a fan of yeast? I mean, it's given us bread and beer. What's not to love? Yeast infections? Maybe not so much. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. And over the next 10 minutes, you're likely to become a passionate yeast fan, if you aren't one already. This week's speaker says it has the potential to be a manufacturing powerhouse that could make everything from building materials to milk. Here's Jason Whitfield. Once upon a time, I was a researcher in the field of molecular biology and bioengineering. I built molecular tools called biosensors that, using light, could tell us more about what molecules were doing in biological systems. And during this time, I began thinking to myself, sure, research helps us shine a light on the unknown and expand the limits of our knowledge. But how do we actually transform that into impact that creates a better world for us and future generations? And so these days, I actually find myself using my expertise in biology, working in the world of startups, actually helping to build companies that are tackling some of our biggest planetary challenges, namely around decarbonization of industries, feeding a growing global population, and providing the next generations equitable and personalized healthcare. The thing that unites all of these people is that they've turned to biology for the answers and inspiration on how we tackle these wicked problems. Look at the wood, the plastics, your clothes, the food, your coffee. How did we make that? How many of these were taken directly from nature and how many use fossil fuels to build them? And then think, how else can we make them? If they came from nature and biology, it's likely that we spent centuries domesticating and selectively breeding the plants and animals to be capable of producing the quality and results we so desire. But today, I'm gonna to tell you that there is a better way and that we could now possibly achieve this in a matter of months using some of nature's tiniest organisms. We live in the era of the gene and its modification. And before I say this, I want you to know that I know that I am two things. One, incredibly biased. Two, very optimistic. So I'm a huge believer that by using a deep understanding of biology at the molecular level, we can develop new approaches for creating food, materials, and fuels for a more sustainable future. While the term bioengineering or engineering biology may seem weird or unfamiliar, really, to me, it's just a modern take on a classic, a means to an end. It's just another tool to kind of do what we've always done, just faster and better. Let's take a look at bacteria and yeast. Through fermentation, these microbes are used to make beer, sourdough, kimchi, yogurt. And this is a technique that we've mastered over centuries. And over this time, we've slowly identified better and better versions that make the products and processes improved. And now we're kind of looking into the lab. And where many of you will see beer or bread, I see these tiny cells as mega factories, things capable of taking chemical inputs and with a little help from evolution and bioengineering, reshaping this to bring us things that like animal-free cow's milk or the future of sustainable textiles and materials. I can hear what you're thinking. Nope, nope, no way. That's not possible and it's not right. But allow me to help paint a picture of how we can have this future built with biology. And through it, we can actually redefine the potential of nature. And to do this, I wanna kinda of tell two stories. 
The first is one that we're all familiar with, farming. Over centuries of dedicated agricultural practices, we have created the processes that give us our meat, milk, grains, veggies, and fabrics. But how do we do this? We achieve this through selective breeding and domestication of these plants and animals. Because the corn that we now know and love didn't start out as corn, right? It started out as this terrifying brown finger of the thing, no bigger than your pinky. Not this beautiful yellow cob that we enjoy today. And we got it this way because we bred it. We intended it to be this way, selectively mating optimal plant with optimal plant. And we get this right combination of genetics that can give us a fast-growing, big, juicy cob. But this is a big, drawn-out process of trial and error, combining the plants, then looking at the offspring, seeing if they give us the right traits. So yeah, in the end, we do approximately get what we want. But the key thing to understand here is that by doing this kind of sexual selection, you're actually mixing all of the DNA, the desired and the not so. So this means you can sometimes get wonky outcomes. Take bananas, for example. Cavendish, perfectly curved yellow. But these can't reproduce, so now we actually have to clone them to propagate them. And the rub of this perfect plant is that it can now be wiped out by a single fungal outbreak. So, my question to you is, is this the best we can do? And while you're noodling on that, story number two takes us back to the 1920s, when scientists figured out, hey, I can take a pancreas from that animal over there, extract a hormone called insulin, and use that to treat diabetes. From there, we went full industrial on it, using tons and tons of animal pancreas to make mere ounces of this hormone. It's not exactly a dictionary definition of sustainable, but it was no doubt an important step in our healthcare. Fast forward to the 1970s, in the midst of the molecular biology revolution, where we discovered that we could snip and clip specific parts of DNA. Now, this is a critical moment in time, because we're now really beginning to appreciate that the information encoded in those letters of DNA in one organism could actually be translated to the exact same message in a completely different organism. So this is when these people in the 70s in the US asked, well, if insulin's a protein, and proteins are encoded by DNA as a gene, and I can now manipulate that gene in a controlled manner, what if I take that gene for insulin and put it in a bacteria? And then, using fermentation and brewing it up in large vats, I could make a medicine that could treat the world. What then? And they did exactly that. And now we come forward to 2023, we're even more sophisticated and knowledgeable in what information we can encode in these genes, how best we can transfer them between organisms, and how we can tailor this information to our needs. So this kind of feels like I've answered my own question of, is there a better way? Yes. Yes, there is. And it is this kind of bioengineering that when used responsibly, I hasten to add, enables us to do things like create rice that is rich in vitamins or drought and disease resistant crops and to do so much more quickly and with the levels of accuracy and success that are much greater compared to our classical models. So how much does the journey by which the genetic changes occurred matter? Shouldn't we rather focus on the outcomes delivered by our efforts and potential benefits they present as well as the negative impacts of the status quo? And I don't want to take us into a debate of natural versus unnatural. I just want us to consider 
What are the important details we should value in our everyday commodities and reflect on the current and future impacts of how we're actually producing them? As I said at the start, I come from this world of engineering biology, where we want to create solutions to these global problems using biology. We've tried to ascribe computational language to biology. Genes become components, genetic processes, circuits, cells, processes, and so on. This works to a point. Treating biology like a computer, though, has one fatal flaw. It forgets this biological agency. It's adapting to its environment. It is surviving and hopefully thriving. Ultimately, we're going to fail because we're essentially asking it to do something that is unnatural to the system. To make a future built with biology, we need to recognize this biological agency. And when we seek to design it and introduce these new functions, we need to approach it as such. We don't tell biology what to do so much as we try to give it a limited range of choices about what it can do. Right now, we're in this period of excitement, hype, and hope. People are doing wonderful things in the labs and scaling them. Like there are even people creating microbes that during fermentation, rather than using sugar, they grow directly on greenhouse gases, literally making protein sources for animals and humans from thin air. And yes, cow's milk. We're making that in yeast too. How? Again, they've tapped into this power and shared language of DNA. I'm not going to lie to you though, it isn't all smooth sailing. We have a lot of work to do. We've never scaled biology quite like this before. We need millions upon millions of litres of specialised fermentation capacity to produce some of these products. Literally more than currently exists in the world to make our beer and wine. Not to mention, we need to make sure that we're doing this responsibly. And perhaps most importantly, that we're innovating these in a way that doesn't disrupt economies and local industry. So how do we make sure this new bio-industry dovetails seamlessly and doesn't displace or disrupt? For me, it's the same way we seek to engineer biology in the first place. We work with them, not against them. We engage, we consult, we listen. It won't be easy or simple, but I can guarantee it will be worth it. So next time you have your fermented products, think to yourself, if a tiny cell made this, what else can it make? What couldn't we do if we choose to harness the power of over 3.7 billion years of biological development? How could we build a better future for those yet to come? Thank you. Dr. Jason Whitfield runs the bio-focused startup accelerator Symbio 10X with UNSW Founders and Main Sequence Ventures. He was speaking there at our Occam's Razor live event at Sydney Powerhouse on Gadigal Land. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and I'm already brewing up another science talk to serve you next week. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.